Hi, this is Roy's Rocket Radio, recorded on Monday, the 29th of February, 2016. This is episode 124, and hello again. And of course, happy leap year day. Only happens every four years, so this is a special show. Actually, this special show should have been one of three shows... But I had so much to record, and I was just so tired this weekend that I'm doing it now. And it seems like I'm always making excuses, so sorry about that. And part of the reason I'm feeling a bit ratty is that it is freezing. If you don't know about this podcast, I've plastered it everywhere, so you should know. I'm staying in the UK where it is cold. Okay, it isn't as cold as, say living above the Arctic Circle, but it's a damp kind of cold, and if you live in the UK, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it's so annoying that it's so cold, and the reason for that is the heating's out. So while the politicians are pointlessly arguing about Brexit, what a bunch of idiots, maybe you remember what a faff it was to get into the EU in the first place. My dad reminded me about that in a phone call the other day. And now they're trying to get out, or at least some of them are trying to get out. Ridiculous, come on. And in other news, the rather unpleasant anti-migrant xenophobia continues. And while on the tech front, Theresa May tries to sneak in the amended Snoopers charter, and Apple does battle with the FBI. And while all this is happening, I'm dealing with a cold. That's what's happening in my now literally icy fortress of nerditude. Not a cold this time, but the cold. The weather. The weather outside. Or rather, the weather inside my home. It's colder than an ice warrior's helmet in here right now. And it has been cold since Thursday. Because, and I found out a day later when the plumber had a chance to go through everything... Apparently, the brain of my central heating system is broken, and it needs replacing. So, no central heating. Not good. I have two cheap convectors, a gas fire and an electric blanket, which do help, but it's still not good. And I realise there are people in worse situations than myself, but I am not good with a cold. The upshot of all this is that I'm trying to spend as much time out as possible because it's warmer in offices and shops and libraries and anywhere else, really. And on that subject, we'll go on to something else now. A little less moany. Although sort of moany. Although not really moany, but writing. Okay. Cranking up the tension. I am almost at chapter 33. And by the way, if you think I'm talking really rapidly, I am. And it's nothing to do with caffeine, because believe it or not, I haven't had my early morning dose of caffeine today. It's just that I'm cold. And really busy. So I thought I'd do this podcast as quickly as I can and as efficiently as I can and now I'm diverging from the main topic going off on a tangent as usual so back to the writing I am writing 
even in the weekend now, which is partly to do with the cold that I mentioned several times already. And it is helping. It's definitely helping me getting through the word count, the chapters. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention is my novel is supposed to be an adventure novel, and it is an adventure novel. Oh, by the way, the name of my novel, The Horus Box, if you're a new listener. But there's a lot of comedy and slapstick moments, especially in later chapters. I'm now getting to the final leg of the adventure. I have seven chapters to go. And things are starting to go full Indiana Jones. The other thing that I've noticed is that there are cameos of characters from my other fiction creeping in, quite unintentionally as well. It's not as if I've gone out of my way to say, oh yeah, I want to put a cameo of this person. They just crept into the writing when I wasn't looking. Very strange, but... If you write fiction, you'll know what I'm talking about. I've also noticed that I'm referring less and less back to my first draft of the novel. This one, the final draft, is substantially different, not in the overall main overarching plot, but I have cut a lot of the irrelevant, strange tonal shift stuff that makes no sense and interrupts the flow. And the reason that stuff got in in the first place is my fiction was following my mood. So if I was in a bad mood, things would go wrong. If I was in a good mood, things would go right. And it was all over the place. But now I've found that the story is driving itself. So no matter what mood I'm in, the story has a mind of its own and does something else, which is kind of good, really, because it makes writing a lot more entertaining. Because, say, I'm down a bit, something really funny will happen in the novel. And, yeah, having the two things, my mind and the fiction that I write, do their own thing is good in that way. It makes writing a lot more entertaining for me. And you, the reader, as well. Okay, trying to scan down my sheet of stuff that I'm supposed to be talking about. Sheet? Yeah, not really sheet at the moment. It's a file in Metapad. I would like to refer to a sheet, but guess what? I've run out of paper as well. And not only have I run out of paper, I have quite... Unfortunately, also run out of toner for my toner cartridge. So just brilliant. Okay, <laughs> enough moaning. Time's running out. Time is precious. Tempest, fugit. Okay. I cannot honestly find my place in this file now. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Um, okay, the word count. Yeah, mentioned that that's definitely spiralling up. A good thing, because there are sections that need fleshing out. I just need to make sure that it doesn't get bloated, as I still think 80-ish thousand words is a nice length for a well-paced 
page-turning, action-adventure-type novel. Remember, I'm not aiming for James Joyce. More pulp adventure with interesting and very, very non-stereotypical protagonists. A sort of contemporary update to those boys' own type adventures. Although, it's not just boys that are taking part this time. Okay, and on to Doctor Who as promised. And by the way, the stories that I'm talking about today are all reconstructed ones. The Web of Fear, Fury from the Deep, and The Wheel of Space, which I'll get to. I don't get to that one in this podcast, but maybe later today or tomorrow I will. So let's start off with The Web of Fear from 1968. This was first broadcast on Saturday the 3rd of February... So at least we're in the right month, that coincides, 1968 to the 9th of March 1968. This is a continuation of The Abominable Snowmen from 1967, which we covered in Roy's Rocket Radio episode 90 last year. Jack Watling reprises his role as Professor Travers, the mad-ish scientist obsessed with finding the Yeti. He is older now and helping to remedy his legacy caused by bringing back the Yeti and control units and other bits and bobs from Tibet. And that legacy, and now you've got to wait while I scroll down the page again, is that London has been invaded by yetis under the control of the sinister Great Intelligence, although in this story it's just called the Intelligence. And just to remind you, the yetis are great big, shambling, fur-covered creatures who turn out to be robots controlled by these silvery bowling ball-shaped control slash power units that are the proxies of the sinister great intelligence somewhere out there in space. They kind of move like the silver ball weapon from Phantasm, although they don't have spikes or anything, they just control the yetis. Okay, now where were we? Where were we? Again, (laughs) looking. What I really need is one of those cue card generating programs. Oh, great intelligence. Yeah, so London invaded by yetis. And... Part of the thing they do is they exude. There's a lot of exuding in Doctor Who, have you noticed that? But anyway, the Yetis exude this kind of cobwebby material that, if you get it on you, will suck you dry, a bit like how a spider will cocoon its prey. And we know this from very early on when the Doctor and the team land in the underground system and they find a corpse 
of a man mummified by this webbing stuff next to a sandwich board which conveniently tells them that London is being menaced by something. And where were we again? Again, I'm losing my track every two minutes now. I don't know if it's my glasses or the size of the text. Oh yeah, all the action takes place underground, largely in the west end of London, mostly Googe Street and Holborn, which is an amazing coincidence because my novel partly takes place around there, and if I've pronounced Holborn wrong, I don't care. Yes, I know some people pronounce it. How do they pronounce it? Herbone? Herbone? Holborn? Herbone? It's something like that anyway. Now I'm wittering. With the help of Patrick Troughton's doctor, his companions, Deborah Watling's Victoria Waterfield and Fraser Hines' Jamie McCrimmon, and Anne Travers, Professor Travers' scientist daughter, and also the hindrance of cringingly creepy journalist and embarrassingly stereotyped cowardly Welsh soldier and... Of course, the sacrifice of some soldiers who are basically the red shirts in the Hooniverse, especially the later unit soldiers, which makes you think about why someone would be stupid enough to join unit as a grunt in the first place. Okay. With the help and or hindrance of those people... The intelligence is banished at the end in one of those typical James Bond-type exploding finales, which is fairly common to Doctor Who. So what did I think? Well, let's start off with some of the funny bits. Right at the beginning, when the team are in the TARDIS, there is some great falling action as a TARDIS careers around space, particularly from Fraser Hines. That man really knows how to fall. Next, the Brigadier, or at least Colonel Alastair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart, hasn't been promoted yet, makes an appearance in this episode, the first appearance ever in Doctor Who. There's also a bit of sexist banter from an army captain, which is given short shrift by Anne Travers, the scientist's daughter of Professor Travers, which leads me nicely on to the subject of Victoria's legs, as she premieres a new and incredibly short dress. Well, it was the 1960s. What I want to know, and I might have mentioned this before, is who decided to either take that still, or how on earth did that particular frame of film survive? Is it just serendipity? The other thing that I notice, and it's still the case, and I've noticed this since the beginning of Doctor Who, is that many of the longer stories, longer than four episodes, seem to have very stretched out plots. It feels padded out to fit several Saturday episodes per adventure. I think it's slightly to the detriment of the show, but luckily 
these are only 25 minutes long so by the time you notice that each week by the time the next week comes round you need a bit of a recap anyway so that accounts for five minutes of each show so you've only got 20 minutes every week I think the reason I'm noticing this so strongly is that I'm box setting these adventures. I'm watching one whole adventure in one long go. And when you do that, the stretching out effect is very noticeable. Oh, and the other thing that I thought was really great is that fantastic music we heard in The Tomb of the Cybermen from 1967, also covered in episode 90, is used again to indicate the encroaching yetis in much the same way as it was used for the encroaching Cybermen. And you know, looking at my notes, I think I've spelt encroaching differently in the space of several words, so very near together, and both the spellings are wrong, so well done, Roy. Okay, back to the music. I think it can't be a coincidence that The Tomb of the Cybermen was the episode that preceded The Abominable Snowman which was the first episode with the Yeti, which is why I covered them so closely before. But it's interesting that they use the same music. I do love that music. If you want to hear it again, download episode 90 of Roy's Rocket Radio and have another listen. The second show that I watched, in fact, I just finished watching it a few minutes ago, was Fury from the Deep from 1968, which started on Saturday the 16th of March 68 to 20th of April 68. And we start with the TARDIS landing in the sea. Great work, Doctor. The team now have to row to shore. When they're on the shore, on the beach, they have a little foam fight with the sea foam. And they also find a pipeline, one of those big oil or gas pipeline type things from which weird noises are emanating from. So we've had exuding, encroaching, and now we have emanating. <laughs> Interesting word use. Uh, right now I've lost track again. Oh yeah. So they're examining this pipe, and we'll come on to that a bit later, but around this time they're taken prisoner by a crew who are running an undersea gas extraction plant, much like they do in the North Sea. In fact, at one point there is a oil rig featured in this, though I'm not sure where it is. Turns out that there is something in the pipe. It's intelligent seaweed, and it's taking over people, and it wants to take over the world. But, of course, the Doctor's here to save the day, and eventually they do find a way to kill the seaweed, and that is with sound. At the end of the adventure, Victoria stays behind with a nice scientist couple, the Harrises. So, what did I think? Okay, 
Remember when I was talking about how the Doctor was examining the pipeline? Guess what he used to fiddle around with this control box thingy that was attached to the pipeline? The sonic screwdriver! Yes, it's the first appearance of the sonic screwdriver. I've put up a shot of the Doctor holding the sonic screwdriver up on my blog along with lots of other screenshots. Not too many, just enough to give you an idea what's happening. And it's not really clear if than if you look closely that it is a sonic screwdriver type thingy. I did think of enhancing the screenshot a lot so that you could see, but just try and have a look. If you do end up watching the DVD, you will see something there. So that is the first appearance of the sonic screwdriver, and I'm going on about it way too much, which proves how nerdy I am. Okay, you know, we should have a whole show about science fiction tools that have become iconic. Not only science fiction tools, but maybe things from genre in general, like the hyperspanner from Star Trek. Oh man, that's nerdy. Okay. Another thing that I noticed is in this episode, the Doctor, who can barely control his TARDIS, as is evidence from landing the thing in the sea, pilots a helicopter and almost kills them all. Couple more funny things that I thought you might appreciate, and I think I'll bring them up now, is, do you remember I mentioned that they eventually use sound to kill the intelligent seaweed? Well, what was funny about this is the eventual way that they destroy the seaweed is that they use that common sexist trope of old who, the female companion's scream. They record Victoria's scream and manipulate it a bit and create a weapon that kills the weed. <laughs> so that's interesting. It's like the cast, or sorry, the crew who produced Doctor Who know that that scream's annoying and a bit ridiculous. Okay, the weed. Now, I mentioned the word exude earlier on. And here's the reason. The seaweed exudes a kind of foam. And there is a lot of that foam. Which means that many of the action scenes look like fights in a bubble bath. Final thing that I thought funny were that there are two characters early on called Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill, who are shoe-ins for Bruce Glover and Putter Smith as the henchmen Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid in Diamonds Are Forever from 1971, three years later. Oh, and just a little aside, this has nothing at all to do with Doctor Who, but Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid from Diamonds Are Forever. The guy who played Mr. Wint was an actor called Bruce Glover, and Bruce Glover is Crispin Hellion Glover's father. 
Okay, finally, I suppose the only bum note of this is that Victoria does leave. And that's how things stand at the moment for the Vintage Doctor Who Marathon. I will try and get to the Wheel of Space sometime today. But other than that, we're really done for this episode of the podcast. In the next podcast, we'll talk about the Wheel in Space and probably just a tiny, tiny smidgen on The Walking Dead Season 6. But that is it for today. I didn't even say what time this podcast started. Let's say around... Well, I'll do the calculation later. But... Oh, you know what? I can stop the track, rewind, work out how many minutes I've been recording, and then take it away from the time it is now, which is 9.49. So this was Roy's Rocket Radio, episode... 124 recorded on Monday the 29th of February 2016 and the time at the end of the show is 9.49 in the morning. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Bye!